Well, we are in the third week of this series we're calling Starting Over, and the series is about those times when something in life doesn't go as planned, and you've got to kind of hit the pause button and the restart button on your life, and it could be a financial mess that you got yourself into, you know, you thought, oh, 36 months, no interest, surely I can take care of that, and then you didn't, and then all the interest kind of retroactively came out to eat you. Um, It could be something like you betrayed someone's trust, and that's never going to be able to be undone, or at least it's going to take a really long time to rebuild that trust. It could be a whole host of things, and maybe the reason you need to start over is your fault. Maybe the reason you need to start over is entirely someone else's fault, Most of the time, it's a little bit of both. Um, But whatever the reason, this series is about those seasons when you've got to kind of get things going again, when you've got to kind of take a few steps back and then start entirely over. And the goal of this series that we've said from the very beginning, every single week, the goal is simply to keep next time from being like last time. When you've got to restart, we don't want next time to be bogged down by the same problems and struggles and mistakes is last time. Uh, For instance, uh, most people who are thinking about entering into a second marriage, they're hoping that that second marriage doesn't follow the path of their first. People who are wanting to change careers, they're hoping that next career is going to be more fulfilling or they'll be more successful at it than that first career was. They don't want to repeat the path that they've been down. And so we want to be intentional here about improving upon where you've been, improving upon the mistakes you've made so that you don't just repeat history over and over and over again. And in this series, we're going to look at three things that I think everybody needs to do if you're faced with one of these start over seasons, three things that can help you keep next time from being like last time. And the first one we said last week was this, own your slice of the pie. And this might sound a little bit weird, but here's what we mean by this. Let's pretend that the last time, everything that went wrong, okay, this pie chart here represents all of the blame for everything that fell apart, okay? All the blame is right here. What you've got to do, the first thing you've got to do before you start over is you've got to acknowledge that probably somewhere in here, you've got some blame on your shoulders. And maybe it's a little sliver, Maybe it's a big chunk, but you've got to acknowledge somewhere in this, I did something wrong and I need to change me. I've got to look, take a hard look in the mirror and say, I did something wrong. I was part of the problem here. I need to ch- accept this and acknowledge this so that I don't take my mistakes with me into the future. And you know, until you're willing to take a hard look and say, you know what, I did do something wrong here. I got to own some of the, the problems here. Until you do that, I'm not sure you're ready for next time to be better than last time. I'm not sure you are ready for your future to be better than your past. If you're going to just keep passing the blame off and off and off forever and ever and ever and never accepting any of the blame, it's almost a guaranteed way to repeat the mistakes over and over and over again. And so the first thing you got to do if you want to have a better future is own your slice of the pie. And when you own your slice of the pie, that sets you up for the second step that we're going to talk about today, which is then you got to put yourself in a place to be changed. Once you see where you've fallen short, where you need to be changed, then you can put yourself in a place where you can be changed. And maybe you've been through a rough situation or a rough season where you had to start over, and you feel like you really didn't 
have a lot to do with that. It was just kind of situations or it was other people's blame. Maybe you feel like your life fell apart and you weren't the majority blame holder here. And you think, Anthony, I didn't do anything wrong. Why do you keep telling me things to do when I wasn't the one who did things wrong? Okay. Well, the reason is you're the only one that you can change. Even if they were, whoever they are, even if they were entirely to blame here, even if 99.9% of the blame falls on them, what can you do about it? You can nag at them, you can whine at them, you can preach at them and harp at them, but you cannot make them change. The only one you have control over is you. And so that's why our steps are going to focus on us here, because we need to know what we've done wrong, and we need to control what we have going on in our lives, because until we do that, we can't move forward. And so after you own your slice of the pie, whether it's a sliver or a chunk, uh, you've got to put yourself in a position to be changed, a position to have what's broken in you healed, fixed, changed for the better. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to head into uh, the book of Romans. If you have a Bible, feel free to grab the Bible. Uh, so if you uh, have been in church for any length of time, you're probably going to be a little bit familiar with the passage we're going to look at today. In fact, we're only going to look at one teeny little verse because there is just too much to say if we did more than one today. There's, it's so packed in here. Now, if you're not much of a church person, uh, we call this the Book of Romans, but the truth is it's actually a letter from a pastor to a church in the city of Rome, and so we call it Romans because it was written to Romans. That's nothing too complicated about that. And it is written by a, uh, a guy that we call Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul uh, is probably one of the greatest biblical examples of somebody who had to start over. He knows more about starting over, uh, of, of having a crash and burn with the first season of life. He knows all about having the second season be more significant than the first season. He knows all about this. And we find these words from Paul in Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, verse 2. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, that word uh, conform means something that is stamped out in a pattern or in a mold. Um, this past week at school, the elementary school in New Berlin, they had a book fair. Kids could go take money and buy books. And so we gave James some money. And he was so excited to buy a book with his own money. He took his little wallet, you know. And all I'm thinking is, I can't believe he made it home with a book. I thought he'd lose the money somewhere, you know. But he comes home with this book, and it's a Lego activity book. And it was so cool because on the front of it, it actually had a, le a little Lego figure, you know, that you, he had to put together, and he thought that was, like, so cool. And that's what this verse made me think of, is when something is stamped out onto a mold. Because I'm looking at this Lego figure, right, and he's putting it together, and I notice that when I was a kid and I played with Legos, all the Lego figures look just like that. Like, it's 25 years later, and Lego guys still look exactly the same. Like, that's your standard issue Lego guy, like, right? That's what they all, they, they've gotten a little more fancy since I was a kid. But, but when I was a kid, that was your Lego guy. And yeah, you can pop the hair off and put a helmet on or a different, different head. And now they got pirates, you know, the handle pop off and they got a hook that'll go on there and stuff. But for the most part, every Lego guy looks just like a Lego guy. They're all just ka-chunk, 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 pressed out on this mold. So whether you're making a pirate, or you're making Batman, or you're making Han Solo, they're all easily recognized as a Lego guy. They are all exactly the same. And what Paul's point is here is that there is a certain way that we just kind of get shaped by the culture that we're living in. 
And you are, whether you realize it or not, a product of the world you grew up in, the people you spent time around, the family you were raised in. You are a product of your environment in many, many ways. And, you know, this is why we notice problems grouping together in certain parts of our country. This is why certain problems are situated by location in our, in our country. You know, there's epidemics of fatherlessness in certain areas. There's epidemics of extended adolescence in certain places. There are epidemics of all kinds of problems because we tend to become like the people that we are around. And that is just the nature of growing up in a culture. You are influenced by that culture. Um, another way to think of it is like culture has like a flow. There's just kind of a, a general flow of culture that's pushing you in a certain direction. Um, think of going to a water park and getting in the lazy river. Anybody? You're, you're more lazy river people than wave pool people. A few of you, okay, yeah. You get in the lazy river, and you get on your little inner tube, and you pick your feet off the bottom, and you don't have to paddle, you don't have to do anything, and you just get pushed along. And, and without any work, you go the exact same direction as everybody else, and you end up in the same place as everybody else. That's kind of how culture works. This is why many of you who, when you were teenagers, and you swore, I'm never going to be like my mom and dad, now you're 40 and 50, and you looked in the mirror the other day, and you went, oh my gosh, I'm just like my mom and dad. Like, that's why, because you become like the people you spend a ton of time with. This is why stereotypes are a thing. Yes, certain stereotypes are grossly exaggerated, but we got to admit, for a lot of stereotypes, there's a little bit of truth in it, right? Like, white people can't dance. Like, that's for real. We could turn up something with a, a strong beat, clear out the pews, and we could all start dancing. But nobody wants to see that. Like, you don't want to see me dance. I don't want to watch Bruce dance. I don't want to see anybody dance, okay? That's because most of us, are, I mean, we're going to bust out the little one of these, you know, or the running man. I love the running man. Okay, that's all we got. We got no moves, okay? That's just the nature of being white. That's just a part of who we are. This is why all of these things are the way they are, because things like this happen. This is why there's um, red states and blue states, and they all tend to be grouped together, because we just tend to be like the people we are around, the environment we are in, and the culture we are in. And conforming, it doesn't take any effort. It's just like being in that lazy river. If you don't pay attention, you will end up just like everybody else. You'll think like the people you're around, and you'll be like the people you're around. And Paul says, don't just be stamped out on a mold. Don't be just some random Lego person that looks just like every other Lego person. God wants more for us than to look like everybody else, think like everybody else, and believe like everybody else. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We want to be different, transformed, made better. And this is something we can kind of all identify with because we've all had those moments where we looked at our life and, and saw that we were lacking in some way and we wanted to be better. And usually the way that we handle transforming our lives is with the good old, I'm going to try harder, do better. We try grit and determination. That's our primary method when we want to transform our lives, right? And uh, think of every January 1st when you make a New Year's resolution. I always talk about this. About half of you are New Year's resolution people. All of us are New Year's resolution washouts, okay? But on January 1st, we've probably thought, you know what? I need to be healthier, and we make all these sincere, I mean, and that's the thing, when we try the grit and determination way of transformation, we are sincere, and we think, I'm going to be different. This year, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to the gym three times a week, and I'm going to cut out all processed sugar, and I'm going to be healthy this year, 
January 1st. Then it's the end of March, you're sitting on the couch watching Biggest Loser eating Oreos, and you are still getting that automatic charge for the gym membership you haven't used in two and a half months, but you haven't really had the guts to call up and cancel because that just means you failed, right? And so that's kind of how we all do. And we know that when we try this grit and determination, I'm going to make all these promises, I'm going to try harder and do better, we all have tried that and failed at that. And so it doesn't work in most areas of our lives. And since it doesn't work anywhere else, we think, you know what? That didn't work here, but I'm going to try that with my faith. I'm going to try it with growing closer to Christ. And the way this works is we notice, you know, we're convicted. Maybe you hear a sermon or something, and there's something that just kind of awakens you to the fact that you need to follow God more closely. And so you get on your knees maybe, and you make all these promises. God, I'm going to not do this anymore. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be more generous and more loving, and I'm not going to be grumpy with my kids anymore, and I'm going to be better at work. I'm going to do all these things, God, and you make all these promises But time goes by, and you really end up not transformed, but really just the same person that you've always been. I remember uh, going to church camp when I was in high school, and one thing I always thought was strange um, was you'd have people come forward at church camp and give their lives to Christ, and then the next year at camp, they would come forward and they would rededicate their lives to Christ, And then the next year at camp, they would come forward again and rededicate their lives to Christ. And you're like, wait, didn't you do that last year? They're like, yeah, last year it didn't stick, but this year, I'm promising Jesus. I'm going to follow him with everything I got. And they were just like, every year, they would promise, okay, God, this year's my year. I'm going to follow you. And then they'd go back and live the same life they've always lived. And they come back to camp, and they get convicted. Oh, dear God, I'm going to, no, this time's the time. And that's how a lot of us handle spirituality. We just decide we're going to make promises. It doesn't work out, and we keep trying this I'm going to do better. This time's my time. I got this. And it never works because we have missed something very important. This does not say transform yourself into something better. It says be transformed. It is not something that we do to ourselves. It is something that happens to us. It is something that God performs in our lives. This is not something active necessarily that we do, but it's kind of a semi-passive thing. God is the one who transforms us. It is not something that we do to ourselves. And we have to be so aware of that truth that you most likely are not going to have the strength to change you. And the only one who can change you is God. And you have to put yourself in a place where God can do his work on you. And yet, conformed is not that. It is not giving God the time of day. It is not giving God your thoughts. It is not giving significant time and energy to what God wants you to do with your life or how God wants you to think and act and live. Conforming is doing everything that the world is just nudging you along to do. And so, being transformed is carving out places For you to give God significant time, significant energy to speak into your life and to work in your life. And and although I say it's passive, you you do got to kind of make time for God. But I don't think that's enough for you to say, take credit for God doing the transforming work. Okay, that's like, um, how many of you go somewhere to get your hair cut? I only say that because I don't. Okay, how many of you go someplace to get your hair cut? Okay, just because you drove to the barbershop or the salon... That doesn't give you the credit to say, look how good my hair looks, I did this. No, you, you just got yourself there into a place where they could work their magic on your head. That's all you did. You just got yourself in the right place. You just put yourself in a position to get a haircut. Okay? 
Same thing with transformation, I think, is that just because we do certain things to allow God to work in our life, that doesn't mean we get credit. God is still the one doing all the, the work in you. And so I think this idea, this acknowledging that God is the one who transforms and that we at least need to carve out space and carve out a place for God to work in us, I think that's why something like this is so important. I don't just come to church because I'm a minister. I come to church because I need God to work in my life. And I think we need to carve out a place weekly where we can come and hear God, God's word preached to us and we can have godly influence, like it's lighting on us a little bit. We need God to be in a place, or we need to be in a place where God can like shape us and mold us a little bit. Some place where we are going to maybe hear something that is counter to what it means to be conformed and stamped out of the mold that everybody else is stamped in. This is why I tell people I, I think it's good to be in a growth group. It's good to be in a place where people can study God's word together, ask their questions, can sit around a table or a living room and, and grow together in God's word. It is a good, good thing. I think of our growth group. Sometimes we get together and we don't get to the lesson at all. One week we did it. Um, I went outside with Ben and, we were, and Casey and we were playing washers came in and I was like, oh gosh, we totally forgot about the lesson. I was, but I, I got a ringer, you know, I was like proud of myself for that, totally forgot. But here's the thing, even when we get together and the lesson doesn't happen, um, one thing I'm always aware of, I think of this every time we meet, is in our group, we've got a couple young, I say babies, but they're one, you know, they're one now, but we spent a long time praying for those kids. And when we get together, I see them, and that's a reminder of how God answers prayer and how God works. And so even then, I come together, and I'm like, man, God has been good here. Even if we don't open the Bible and get the lesson, I still get that reminder that God has been good and God has worked. We need those environments. And I think more than once a month, twice a month, we need carved out times where God can move and act in our lives. Uh, I think this is why a lot of people should read their Bibles every day. And I know that most of us don't do that. And maybe you say, but Anthony, the Bible is really hard to figure out and I don't understand a lot of it and I'm not really good at reading it. There aren't probably a lot of things in your life that when you started them, you were good at them or found them easy. But it took time and repetition before you got good at them. I mean, some of you, I have tasted some baked goods that will make you feel like you have entered heaven. I mean, there are some talented, talented culinary artists in this room. And I would be hard-pressed to guess that first pie you cranked out when you were in eighth grade brought that same type of experience. Okay, um, I have made things. Um, I won't say my wife has made things because she is always perfect and always has been. Um, but I have made things. I have made things that you taste, and it's like I should just throw this away before anybody else tastes it and thinks how oh, that's just rough, right? But you get better over time. You get good at things. The same is true of the Bible. I, I used to hate reading the Bible. I was the kid that came home from church camp, and my promise every year was I'm going to read the Bible this year. And I'd start in Genesis, and I was like, this is pretty fascinating. I get to Exodus, this is okay, and I get to Numbers, and I just hated life because Numbers is so incredibly boring to read when you don't understand at all what's going going on. And yet, as years have gone by, and I've opened the Bible, and I've figured out a little bit more of what's going on in the story of the Bible, I understand more of what I read, and more and more every day it becomes more fascinating to me and more engaging to me. But it took time, okay? People think pastors just have some natural gift. There are way better, like, uh, Bible scholars in our church than me. I am not the smartest guy at the table on this stuff, okay? Um, and so, 
excuse me, we have got to carve out space for God to transform us. We can't just ignore God. We can't let our lives get filled up, our calendars get filled up with a million other things like everybody else and expect to be transformed. If you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to be like everybody else. That's conformed. That's stamped out on a mold. That's Lego. We are meant to be different. And so we need to carve out times, regular, specific times, to put ourselves in a place for God to speak to us and God to shape us and mold us into something different than what the world is stamping people out to be. And the way that happens, be transformed, he says, is by the renewing of your mind. And as we get God's word into us over and over and over again. It starts to change the way we think, the way we live, the way that we want to act in our world. And the thing about being renewed here uh, is Paul doesn't really tell us much, but there's a couple other places in in the New Testament where he he comes to the same idea of being renewed. And in, uh, I think, Ephesians and maybe Colossians, he talks about how it's about taking off the old and putting on the new. Basically, the renewing of your mind, this transforming process, is when God works in your life and he starts stripping away all those things that make you conformed, all the bad ways of thinking, all the evil stuff that's been in your life. He starts scraping that away and he starts putting on the new. And what's interesting about that process is that it's a process. It is not an instantaneous thing. You do not just jump from the flawed human being that you were into this perfect human being that you hopefully will one day be. It is a time-filled, lengthy process of continually putting yourself in a place for God to transform you little by little, day by day. And this is why in the first week of the series, I said so many people are convinced when their life falls apart and they're trying to start over, they're convinced time is their enemy. Because they're in pain and they want to get out of the pain and onto something else. But no, time is your friend. Time is good for you because it's in the time that God can work. I know so many people who have had a big thing happen in their life, a big negative thing, and they just start making huge decisions trying to change everything to get out of that rut. And they make these monumental life-changing decisions that they regret later down the road because they were in such a hurry. When I think we need to hit the pause button and acknowledge we need to be grown and we need to be shaped. And if we've got something, some blame to own, we need to offer that up to God and allow him to work his transforming power on that area of our lives. It is a process that takes time to strip away the old and put on the new. Uh, my grandpa Bliss, he, we lived like a mile from them growing up, and so I was there all the time. And after my grandpa retired from working in, in the oil field, he opened up a little woodworking shop, and he would refinish antique furniture. And he called it, he called his little business the strip joint, and he thought that was hilarious because some people could say, I'm heading to the strip joint in Barnhill, and it was always scandalous sounding. He thought that was so funny. And, but all he did was he would strip furniture, and um, I got to spend a lot of time, and he would ha- take these old, I mean, just things that you would think to put in the dumpster, and he'd put these pieces of furniture in this big, huge tub that he had, and he would coat them in these chemicals that would start eating away at all these layers of paint and varnish and whatnot, and then he would remove all the broken down, rotted pieces of wood that might be in there, and then he would sand off anything else, any other impurities or whatever, and once he got it down to nothing, to this bare wood thing that almost looked worse than when he started, he would start putting pieces of wood back in to replace what he took out. He would start uh, putting on layers of stain and varnish, and, he, and, and it, was, 
amazing to watch what he would do because he would take these pieces of junk and turn them into these amazing centerpieces of people's homes. And they would look brand new, but yet still had all that character of an antique. You know, he was so good at it. And the one thing, though, that I did notice being there all the time growing up is his shop always looked the same. There was not a lot of turnover in the pieces of furniture in his shop because it took him weeks and sometimes months to redo these pieces of furniture. It took him months to take off the old and put on the new and make it this new beautiful thing. Our lives are like that. It takes time for this process to happen. That's why I say we've got to put ourselves in a place to be changed. I probably should have said we need to continually put ourselves in a place to be changed. We need to continually be letting our lives be put into atmospheres where God can work his transforming power on us through his Holy Spirit. But far, far, far too often, we are so busy and so hectic and so scheduled that we never have time for God. We're so busy, we never open our Bibles. We've got so many excuses, we never make time for prayer. And it's no wonder that so often we feel like We're not much more spiritually mature than we were five years ago or ten years ago. We're not cutting out the space that we need to enter into God's presence and allow him to shape and work in our lives. And so the question I just want to ask you this week then is, what space are you carving out? Obviously you're here, so this is something. This counts as one, okay? But I'm not sure that once a month, one hour a month, or one half hour sermon a month is enough for that. That's not enough influence, because how much more influence do you get everywhere else? How many other ball games, how many other conversations, how many other TV shows do you watch? I mean, do you know how many TV shows you can binge watch on Netflix today, and you would have more of some Netflix original than of God in your life just this afternoon? It's magical. We're at a great time to be alive. Uh, but, But it's amazing, all the things we have that take our time, and we never carve out moments for God to work. So maybe, what are some places you need to carve out? What are some things in your calendar that you maybe just need to say, no, I can't do that. I've got to make time for God. You've got to just start actually penciling God into your, your, schedule, your calendar, your schedule book. Maybe you need to get up in half an hour earlier so that you can open the Bible. Maybe you need 45 minutes earlier so you can get a cup of coffee in you first so that you can actually understand what you're reading when you open the Bible. I don't know. What do you need to do to carve out places for God? I don't think this one hour a month, one hour, twice, twice a month, three times a month, I think we need more than that. I think we need daily scripture. I think we need to be in a growth group if you've got time for that. I think those are incredibly, incredibly beneficial. Where do you need to cut out space in your life? Because until you give God the room to work, you're going to end up being stamped out on the mold like everybody else. Until you give God room to work and transform in your life, until you give him space to speak into you, until you slow down for a moment, just long enough for God to say something to you, you're going to end up like everybody else, thinking like everybody else, living like everybody else, and oftentimes making the same mistakes as everybody else. And we want to keep next time from being like last time. I want your life to walk the blessed road that God has for you. And God can help you to avoid a lot of the pain, and he can help you live a much more foundational and fulfilling life than what you would live just by following the flow of our culture's lazy river. And I don't want you to be conformed. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but it's going to take time. It's going to take you deciding, I need room for God to work. I can't keep being me. I need to be shaped in the image of Christ. I need to give God more room. It's a decision that you've got to make. 
Again, that doesn't give you the credit just because you came to church more than somebody else or came to a group or read your Bible more than anybody else. That doesn't give you the credit just because you drove to the stylist and they got your hair just right. That doesn't give you the credit, okay? But it's just acknowledging I need more transformation and less of being conformed to the likeness, the pattern, the mold of our world. God has more for you than to be stamped out and look like everybody else. God has something amazing and transformational in your life, but you gotta give him the space to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that works in our lives. And I pray today, Father, that we would be challenged to give you more of us, more of our time. Whatever it is, Father, that, that we are tempted to add to our life, add to our schedules, I pray that we would understand that at some point we've got to make room for you. That on some level, our, the, the priorities of our time show the priorities of our heart. And we are living like everybody else, and we're ending up like everybody else, and, and you want more for us than that. And I pray, Father, that, that we would have maybe the courage to be different, maybe the courage to say, no sporting events on Sunday, or the courage to say, I'm sorry, but Wednesdays are for a group, or, or I got to get up on Sunday and go to church, and, and I'm, I'm not going to miss that. I, I pray that we would have the courage at times to be different, because sometimes the same is a mess. And we see other people who are a mess and we know we don't want our marriages to be like everybody else and we know we don't want our kids to treat us like everybody else's kids treat them and we know we don't want our lives to follow the pattern. We want something exceptional. But help us to understand that in order to be different, we've got to live different. We've got to give you the, the God of second chances, the God of restarts, the God of hope, the God of transformation. We've got to give you room to work in our lives. And just as we can push you out of our life by filling our, our time up with so many other things so we can invite you into our lives and into our heart by making room for you to work. Help us, Father, not to, want, uh, to be okay with being conformed. Help us to make a decision here and now to make room for you, to transform us, and let us give you all the praise and honor and glory for that as we acknowledge you are the amazing God of the universe and that our determination, our try harder to do better thing is not going to work but your word and your spirit can do great things if we give you the time and the space to move in our lives. So speak to us. Let us hear you. Let us know you. Let us be shaped by you. Let us not be the same people that we were when we met you and fell in love with you, but let us be changed daily by your word and by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for the hope of change. Thank you for the hope of transformation. Thank you that we don't have to run and be scared of our problems and our mistakes, but we can own them and accept them and admit them, knowing that when we bring them to you, there's forgiveness and grace and love and hope. Thank you, Father, for all you do for us. May we always know that we need to make room for you every single day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.